Welcome into another episode of the Odds and Audibles podcast. This is Eric Scopel, joined today by Jared Mack. Matt Prem is on vacation. He seems to do that a lot. You know it. <laughs> He'll be back soon. He and he's having a boys weekend before uh, fall camp really picks up next week. And then as we get into the open of the season on September 4th against Fresno State, no more vacations for Matt, which is a needed thing. Because at this point, I mean, he's kind of using them all. I mean, he should. He should. It's, it's a little, he should. A little slow right now, but that's okay. It's slow, but it's also really busy. And we just recap now seven days of Oregon's fall football camp. And that is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, today is Friday. This podcast will be up Friday. You might listen to this on Saturday. Um, we've now actually been able to watch four practices. They've, yeah. they've had seven. There's been a couple we've not been able to watch, which is not my an ideal, but it is the way things are set up. So we're going to run through some of the things that have stood out since the last recording on Wednesday. So this is recapping Thursday's practice, Friday's practice, leading into Saturday when the Ducks will be inside Autzen Stadium for a scrimmage that will be open to season ticket holders and media alike. So Saturday's a big day for the site. Expect to see a lot of coverage Saturday evening. Scrimmage will start about 7 p.m. Um, and we will then speak with Mario Cristobal after its conclusion at about 9.15 p.m. So it's going to be a late night. We will get a podcast recapping it up. Uh, Jared and myself, because Matt's vacation runs through the weekend. We will get that up Sunday just because of how late it concludes on Saturday. And, and although we are relatively young, Jared, more than I, uh, it seems <laughs> like we should sleep at some point. It's going to be a late What are we thinking? Midnight at least? I mean, I'm sure I will be awake until much later than that, but working, yeah, 11.30, midnight, that's probably somewhat conservative. So, um, with that said, let's start where we said we'd start. At practice. At practice. Uh, Jared, like, okay, so, like, we've now seen a week. What's maybe, like, what are a couple of things that really stand out so far to you? So, I've, so far, I've just been watching the offense. Um, I think a couple of things that stand out is, yeah, where Robbie Ashford is in the totem pole. Mm-hmm. He's usually taking second team reps, actually always taking second team reps. That's a surprise. It is, yeah. We haven't seen any actual 11-11 drills yet, um, but every day you know, the quarterbacks go through the throwing motions, they'll run just simple, you know, uh, simple route runnings with all the wide receivers, and Robbie Ashford is always the second guy. Um, whether that's you know taking the second drill or in the second quarterback slot of, of uh, the the regular passing drill it doesn't matter he's there so I think that's been a big surprise uh, another big surprise has been Troy Franklin is usually the first X wide receiver yeah um, that's been interesting to watch it's the first line right now is Troy Franklin Michael Pittman in the slot Johnny Johnson on the other the wide receiver and then Spencer Webb at tight end and C J Verdell at running back. So I think Troy Franklin being there is very interesting. Uh, Who's he passed on the depth chart to be there? He's passed on the depth chart right now. It's Troy, then Isaiah Crocker, and then Devin Williams. So Devin, so Williams Devin is, was the one that we thought was going to be the X. Yes. I Probably, yeah, going into the season. I think I really think that Troy is playing Mario Cristobal's hand here. I think he's that talented and that skilled at that size that he's it, – I could be up to Devin Williams' skill set and talent level already as a true freshman. Um, and we should just know, I really want to quickly say just that we say this seven days into camp. I don't think anyone's suggesting Devin Williams isn't going to start like game one or that he's like completely fallen out of this competition. No, 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 I just no. think the notable part here is that a freshman is running with the ones. 
Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, Devin is, has seen running with the twos and threes, which means that while there is some sort of an order, it's certainly not set in stone. Also seems to have some sort of neg- some sort of injury because he did missed, was it Thursday's practice? Friday's practice, we could not watch. But we saw him exiting practice and looked like he was at least participating. Had, yeah. was sweating and all that. Yeah, yeah, he left uh, midway, I would say, through Thursday's practice. We were just able to see him on the way out. Uh, and then today we saw him on the way out of the of Friday's practice and after it concluded. After, after it concluded and, you know, he had no pads, so clearly he had taken part in it. Um, trying to think some other interesting stuff that has been going on on the offensive end. I think – well, I, let me you, we, You've seen more offensive line work. I, I have. It was sort of a couple things on the – actually, I've got a lot of offensive line stuff if we want to just, like, jump right into this, um, which let's do it because what, what's holding us back. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me the most um, – is just the amount of job swapping and first positional versatility that Alex Mirabal and Mara Cristobal and company are trying to accomplish. It, the goal right now is literally for every single player, and there's 20 of them on the offensive line, including some walk-ons, to basically be able to play both guard and tackle. Not only that, but play both left and right side. Um, that's a huge undertaking. And I think something that really stands out to me is just that we saw a year ago them rotate through six guys. I think we can expect to see something similar this year. We might even see a larger rotation. That's not anything any, anyone has said. I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves here. Of, sounds like they're really deep. They're really talented. And they've got a lot of guys who can play a bunch of spots. In fact, I asked Alex Forsyth today, Oregon starting center, how many guys could play all five offensive line positions if needed? And that means left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle. So it can play literally every position. And he thinks there's four players on the team who can do that, which is, by the way, like that's just really impressive. He thinks he can do that, or he believes he knows he can do that. He was most confident in his ability to do it because I'd imagine he has a better idea of his own skill set than anyone else on the team, but maybe not. Um, and then the other three players he brought up that can also do that, Jonathan Dennis, Dawson Yaramillo, and then true freshman Jackson Powers Johnson. So – a ton of versatility with those guys. They can play center. They can play guard. They can play tackle. Those are just really valuable players. You get into a season, a player goes down, and rather than go, okay, who's the backup right guard? It's who's the next best player who can fill in. Mm-hmm. Do you think about how that changes the kind of the, the mathematics, the equation here of let's say, for example, your left guard, TJ Bass, probably going to be that, goes down. It doesn't have to be, okay, who's next on the left guard depth chart? It's going to be like, who's the sixth best guy? Who's right. the next guy? Next man up. Well, it, it reminds me of the 2019 Oregon offensive line where they had just immense versatility on that, where you could have Calvin Throckmorton, who was the starting right tackle. And when Jake Hansen went down with a concussion, he just filled in at center. He's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can do this. No worries. And then Brady Aiello came in and filled in the next spot. Even there, though, I think there was a little less overall versatility amongst guys. I think you had well, the left side of the line was set in stone. They weren't moving sure. Shane Lemieux and, and Panay Sewell, but I still think like that flexibility, that that ability to have somebody come in and play any of the positions is extremely important for this team. And I think when you were saying how they're going to have a rotation that might be more than six deep, I could I, think I could see fine. I could see it being eight or nine from what I've heard. I think to be honest, eight eight sounds about right. Yeah, and and. Well, and you could think about it maybe this way of, of I don't think you want to change the center just because I think you yeah. really want to keep the person snapping the ball consistent. That's that in and of itself is a, it's like a jump shot. You know, you don't want yeah. to substitute 
somebody who's consistent with their snaps out for somebody who then has to kind of find consistency midway through a game. So I think you want to keep that position kind of static and Forsyth just plays there. Mm -hmm. Um, But the guard and tackle spots, I think you want to have multiple guys that are capable and especially like uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, the Kingsley Sumatia, younger guys who are so talented, like finding ways to just keep them engaged and involved in the offense um, up front, I think is valuable. And then just one other note from speaking with, Oregon offensive line coach Alex Mirabal today. Um, he said they have seven players on the team who are currently capable of playing center. Now you go, okay, that sounds like a good number, but what's the context of that? He said when he first got here back in 18, they only had two. Mm. And that was two starters. Yes. That was Calvin Throckmorton, who was a fill-in, and then Jay Canson, who was a starter, who could play that spot. He now ran through seven. I'm not going to try to attempt it. I've already ran through four that can be on that list because those are obviously players capable of playing seven, uh, center. Um, you know, like a Marcus Harper is another guy who can play center um, mm-hmm. and, and down the line. So Ryan Watt can play center. So look, I've gotten us to, I think, six of the seven, and there's a seventh one escaping me that I'm – you know what it is? Okay, give me a roster here. Go for it. All right. I mean, we've seen Marcus Harper. It's, this is a walk-on who's who – it, it would be uh, Cannon Rossi. No, the Cannon. Big old can. We we all are such we all know so much about him. Um, that is the seventh player who can who can play uh, center. So there, there's a lot of guys currently repping a lot of different spots in the offensive line. We haven't done a ton of offensive line talk. I thought we should spend some time just kind of running through some of that. So um, there's that. And then in terms of what the rotation looks like today, this kind of surprised me. Um, on Thursday when we watched, they they did do some live stuff and. From left to right, it was George Moore, mm-hmm. TJ Bass, Alex Forsyth, Ryan Walk, Stephen Jones. The noticeable absence there being Big Sala, now with the second unit, and Jones, who was one of his pseudo-replacements last year when they did rotate, although he played primarily left. Jones has slid in at right tackle and has, I, for my money, really looks like a guy ready for a breakout year. Um, I think of those players, like, I, I wonder – you know, I didn't get a chance to speak with him a couple of days ago when he was available. Um, hopefully that'll change because we will speak with him. I'm curious in what the motivation was like coming in as somebody everybody expected to start a year ago yeah. and then being someone who didn't start. I know he played a lot. He played about even snaps with George Moore and, and Big Sala in total, I think. But he wasn't a starter. And I'm sure there was some motivation to kind of get that spot. Because when he came in, like, he came in the same class as, as Penny Sewell. And there was a lot of expectations those two would eventually play next to each other, or play opposite each other at tackle. I remember asking about that. That never materialized, and I think he's trying to make sure he doesn't fall further behind here. So um, a lot of competition there, and, and, and we could run through this further and further. But I think we'll have a much better idea on Saturday of kind of what these rotations actually look like. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, with, with the scrimmage Saturday, we'll know. Well, it depends on who plays because – they don't. Oregon doesn't need everybody to play no. on Saturday. It's just it, it'd be silly for them to even try. Um, but they'll definitely have a chance to, or excuse me, we'll definitely have a chance to see who the rotations are and who's who's the sixth guy, who's uh, the seventh guy, and you know just what what positions they're rotating at the most. Is it going to be the, from the, one of the tackle spots? Is it going to be uh, you know the right or left guard and who's coming out? Uh, I am interested to see how they're going to use. Jackson Powers Johnson. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've heard a lot about just his overall talent level. And I know he pre- preliminary is, or primarily, excuse me, I can't speak, plays. Very similar center. words, by the way. Extremely similar <laughs> words, so I get it. He, it. he came in as a center, but he's been working with the ones at guard. He's been working with the twos at center. And I'm just, I'm interested to see if his talent is just going to be 
too much where they're going to need him need to put him at left or right guard and just at least have him out there. I think he and Kingsley are rotation guys. If we're talking about getting, you know, who's season starting out, yeah. My, you know, like if I was to like try to assess this, I think the five guys I mentioned as starters, Moore, Bass, Forsyth, uh, Walk, and Jones would be the five just based on what we saw. And then the next three, I would say, would be Big Sala, who's mm-hmm. I think right there. And then those two freshmen seem to really be making some waves this 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 fall, and that's Jackson Powers, Johnson, and Kingsley Sumatia. If I was just to say who are the eight best offensive linemen, or, or what's my feeling, that would be where I would land. And that again excludes some really good players that are very talented, and that I think we all think very highly of. It's probably the story. I'm transitioning now to the next segment. This is probably the story that on the site surprises us every year for how much interest there is. Um, And we were able to write it finally on Thursday. And that's the weights and height changes made on Oregon's football roster. Um, Usually these come out like first day of fall camp or handed one. We had to wait about a week on Thursday. Um, Nate the Great the uh, Oregon, New Oregon Sports Information Director, who's doing an awesome job. Um, this is his first year doing it. And I, I think, I mean, from my perspective, he's killing it. Look at me giving an a drop here. Uh, intentionally efforting for better access. So, Nate, if, you, if, you, if this comes to you, we think you're amazing. Keep doing great. You're doing great. And uh, give us better access, I guess. <laughs> but Nate came up and handed us a roster after that stupid digression I made, which I don't know if I should have, but whatever. Um, and hand us a roster with weights on it. And it was exciting because we thought, boom, finally, the moment everyone has been waiting for, uh, updated weights. And Jared, we should know. I'm, I'm just going to – we're going to go all the way behind the curtain because whatever. We were sitting on a table with Jared, Matt, and James Crepe from, from the Oregonian, sorry. And uh, as a group, we went through and have uh, now compared the heights and weights to last year's roster. Yes. And, Jared, there are some significant gains and significant losses um, from these findings. Who lost the most weight? But I'd like to thank James for helping us out. And his, oh, yeah, I was just going to say, James is instrumental in this. Yeah, James has an XLC with the last three years of roster weights. <laughs> I, I, I consider myself a nerd, and, like, honestly, now that he's given me the idea, I'm going to start doing this. It's a good one. It's a great idea because usually I do actually carry around a, a notepad of, or a collection of old rosters, so I have them. But, yeah, why don't I just put them on a computer? James, big assist on this uh, as well. And uh, honestly, like, and technical competition, but the fact that we work together on some of this actually does help our, I think, the caliber oh, of our work. Yeah. So, uh, but who, who lost the most? We're going to want to go losers first? Yeah, I was, let, let's, let's save the winners for last. Okay, so the biggest losers of weight. <laughs> uh, Braden Swinson and Feope Leolu. Sure. Both lost 35 pounds. It's a lot of weight. So, Feope last year came in at 395 and is now down to 365. Or 360, excuse me, math. Um, and Braden Swinson, I think, was a, was was in, was interesting. Two sixty nine to two thirty four, right? And I think that's just his transitional change in positions. With his yeah, playing was playing mostly outside backer. And yeah, but now it was yeah, he was hand in the dirt. Now he's doing a now he's doing it from a standing position. Want to cut some weight because I think there is more opportunity to play in coverage. Uh, the next two were both skill position players. I think these were mostly due to injury more than anything else, but Sean Dollars lost 24 pounds and Jalen Red lost 17 pounds. Significant. Yeah, Sean Dollars is now 171 pounds. Which feels way too light for a running back. And Jalen Red is now 170. Which feels which way too light for a receiver. For a receiver, especially at his frame. Um, yeah. And I, 
I would attribute those probably to injury. Did you, but like one thing I'll just say is like I didn't look. I've we've seen them now practices and like around and pretty close. I didn't think like either of them looked like super. It doesn't look like they're malnourished. Like it doesn't no, look like they Red, don't look one seventy to me. Red looks skinnier, but he's. I mean, he's always been a skinny dude. But Sean Dollars, we've seen not in practice, but outside of practice, coming from rehab and going into the facilities, he looks fine. Nope. Mm-hmm. No notice. Like he doesn't. Again, like Eric said, doesn't look malnourished. When I saw he was at one seventy one, I was surprised. I I think he was listed at what was it one ninety five before, right? Yeah, that would be the math. The math. Yep. Um, I I would have said he was like one eighty five, maybe. Yeah. I could tell he lost a little weight, but it didn't look like he lost twenty four pounds. No, not at all. And uh, lastly, the biggest loser, Tom Snead. My buddy, Tom Snead, my buddy, sixteen Tom. pounds. The nicest person on the team. Just the most incredible guy. Yeah, Tom Sinead is an amazing guy. Well, I, I interviewed him. He's from Australia, obviously. He probably hadn't had a lot of interviews about football recruiting him there, or just when he was a recruit. And, uh, like, one of the guys who just, like, I talked to him about stuff, like what was going on in, you know, in Eugene, and he would, like, follow up and ask me the next time I talked to him about, like, hey, what's going on with this thing we talked about last time? Yeah, nicest guy. Oh, love love me some Tom Sinead. Um And a great punter. And I, I think, interestingly enough, one that decided he was going to really cut some weight and change his body. Um, I'm trying to find him on the roster right now to see what he's... You're on the right page now. Tom Snee is now at 198 pounds. So yeah, he was like pushing 220 almost before. Yeah. Now he's yeah, he's cut some weight. So um, those are the biggest losers. How about the biggest winners, which is the total wrong way to actually phrase this because he's the biggest gainers. Biggest but. weight gainers. Uh, Trevor Mai was the biggest weight gainer on the team. He gained 17 pounds. He's now up to 267. By the way, interesting here is we just talked about Swenson cutting 25 or 35 pounds uh, because he's moving outside. Nai is not actually switching positions. In fact, he's staying on the outside. I'm surprised he's gaining weight to play a position that I think is going to require a little bit more um, over-athleticism, getting him yeah. covered and stuff. I was a little surprised to see him actually put on weight. You saw mostly um, the those kind of edge guys drop weight in that game. Yeah, he's gained about 40 pounds since coming to campus. He was really – I actually remember seeing him as a recruit on his unofficial visit um, going into his junior year of high school. So this was like four years ago. And was like – I thought he was like a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. He was very, very thin. And now he's clearly bulked up. Was, what was the, What's he at now? Is he 260? 267, yeah. Yeah, big kid. Uh, then Popo and DJ Johnson tied for the second biggest weight gainers, adding 15 pounds each. Uh, Popo is now sitting at 305, and DJ Johnson is now 273. And we should know no more clarity than any other podcast we've had on what's going on with DJ Johnson. Yeah, we have still on the roster. Didn't see him on Thursday. Uh, didn't see him on Friday, even though it would have been harder because we weren't at practice. Right. But still on the roster, still here. His weight's still here. So he's... Well, yeah. Well, one thing we should say just before we finish this that I should have mentioned: um, the roster has no personnel changes it's like there's we've there were about close to a dozen guys who were absent from practice on thursday and it's and none of them are like gone yeah and that includes that includes obviously like dj james and jamal hill a couple of guys who were suspended Mm -hmm. uh let's see this is third overall in the weight gaining michael afasi gained 12 pounds he's now at 282 pounds and jalen jeffers jalen jeffers and suave hody both gained 11 pounds Needed to see some weight gains for a couple of those linemen. Um, Afese is someone who also like Johnson. Haven't seen him at all during fall camp. Yep. Um, I would be stunned if he transferred because there was an interview Popo gave on, on – it's been about 10 days, but from Oregon's football media day where he talked about how Mikhail was his roommate. 
he was a fantastic chef and how he cooked meals together and how they're really close friends. And oh, nice. I don't think you have that conversation no. four days before camp starts if that player. Yeah. We, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I, and I just, so we, this actually is a natural transition. Like here's a list of names of guys who were not at Thursday's practice. Sean Dollars, we mentioned him. We actually, I think we saw him around. So like he's, yep. he's not like, pra- like on the field practicing with the team, but he's definitely around. And it's certainly not like, there's no question of like where, what his status is. He's hurt. Um, DJ James and Jamal Hill. We know their status. They're suspended. It's this next group of guys that we don't have really any clarity. And we've asked Mario a couple of times about them. And he's just said, some guys aren't available. Um, read into that like you want. I mean, could this be, these could be injuries. This could be COVID. This could be players medically retiring or transferring. Um, you know, if it's the latter, if it's medically retiring or transferring, um, I would like to expect that Mario would notify us that that has taken place. And if it's transferring, we would see them in the portal. Um, we have access to that information at that character. So we haven't seen any of these guys in the portal. So I, I, this is kind of, there's a lot of kind of gray area here. Not super unusual because we do see this most camps where some guys are just in and out. Okay. We don't have to overlook into this, but look into this too much. But um, here's some other guys that weren't at practice on Thursday. Devin Williams, Jackson LaDuke. We have ID'd those players um, around practice the last couple of days. So it's not like they're, there, it seemed we, like Devin might have been battling an injury. I think Jackson, but definitely, Jackson definitely was, was yeah. definitely battling an injury. Um, and then this group is the one that we probably have just we don't we haven't seen these guys around in a while, and that's DJ Johnson, Lance Wilhoyt, Miss uh, Mikhail Afasi. I'm told how it's pronounced. It looks totally different. Um, and then Jake Shipley and JJ Greenfield. Um, Shipley, we've actually seen at practice this fall. He started. I think he must be dealing with an injury that's keeping him out. Um, but Johnson, Will Hoyt, and Afasia are three guys we've literally have, and Greenfield, sorry, four guys we haven't seen at any practice. No. So I don't know if we want to – I'm not going to try to figure out what is going on based upon what we've heard. They're just not around, and we'll continue to keep you updated on those players. But you can certainly take this collection of players we mentioned here and say they won't be scrimmaging on Saturday. And I think you could say the same about – probably about a group of rehab players uh, in Jalen Red, Jonah Miller, Mace Luna, Jeffrey Bassa, and Avante Dickerson are guys who have been working with the rehab group last we saw. Typically that means they're not going to be able to participate in a scrimmage. And I know Trey Benson told you he was not participating in the scrimmage. Yep, Trey will not be there. Uh, By the way, he'll be there, but he won't be, let's, he won't be participating. Let's share the injury thing with him. And Maybe we actually we could mention just because we're just talking injuries here. Like Cam McCormick, also I don't know if you took down all the details. I could oh, probably need to have like a a medical professional yeah, here to help us through that. But what did Trey say? Because this was actually pretty significant, I thought. So yeah, Trey after practice on Thursday talked about his his injury. It initially was reported that Trey had suffered just a leg injury. I believe I think a broken before. leg is what we had heard. Yeah, I don't know where we got that from? But he tore basically everything in his knee. He went through the list. It was an ACL, MCL both his lateral and medial meniscus and his, his hamstring as well. So a mess. that was very interesting to hear. And the fact that he, he claimed that he was at 95% right now, back to where he was. And when did he suffer the injury, by the way? He, December 1st. Okay. So math on that is like not a lot, about nine months. Yeah. For a, a, all of those things. And so that's, that's impressive nonetheless. He also mentioned how he – He's like a partial per, – uh, Partial participant. Look at these peas. He's been he, he practice. Was partial so he's, the first week, but this last week he's been full go. He's been. He started out balls. as a partial practice participant. Alliterations. He did nice preliminarily. 
oh, oh can we keep going now? <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's, uh, this past week he's been a full participant. Um, he's still, I would say, probably not, uh, he doesn't look 100%. And he so, thinks he's at 95. So, so yeah, I mean, he's, he's, not that he's not running well, he's just kind of, there's a little bit of a gingerly vibe to him and how he runs down the field. Um, I just don't think he's going at 100%, but that's probably from discretion from the coaches, too. Mm-hmm. They don't want him to try to go 100% and suffer any kind of setbacks. Um, yeah, so that's interesting to hear from Trey. Uh, Jeffrey Bassa and Mace Funa were two additions on Thursday that weren't there on Tuesday yeah. in the rehab group. Yeah. And this is kind of to be expected as well. Maybe not this many people, but no, we see is, it. We this, see this. This is, this is what happens. Pads. Yeah. There's, it's just different. You're going to get hit harder. You're going to get hit in different ways and areas. It's, you're going to get banged up a little bit more often than others. Um, for what it was worth, Mace and Bossa both looked fine. They were just probably working through some lower leg injury. Yeah. Same with Devontae Dickerson. Um, we don't know the severity at all, but if someone's working with the rehab group, that typically indicates they're not super far away from being full point, at least being a partial participant. Usually it means yeah. they're closing in. Jalen Red and Jonah Miller have been only working with the rehab group. Yeah. whenever we've seen practice. The typical progression for, like for an injured player is they probably are going to miss some practices depending on the severity, and then they'll rejoin practice, and then they'll be with the rehab group for at least two to four of practices before they are a full participant. And, and it, it varies, but it's not unusual at all to see a person, if they don't actually – aren't fully absent – you know, like a Mace Funa who went from participating fully from what we saw to then being a rehab guy. It's not at all ridiculous or, you know, absurd to suggest that they might have, you know, taken full part on Friday and that they might be a full participant right. on Saturday. But based upon what we saw, I think there's some expectation that we might not see them. Um, it wouldn't shock me. I yeah. Think, and I think the coaches would take it easy on them because yeah. – those are both players who are probably well, second stringers right now. Food is a first team guy. First teamer, and they're going to be playing a lot no matter what. Yeah. Boss is one where maybe this would be a valuable scrimmage to see where, where he's at. Certainly, a name we mentioned and talked about a lot on Wednesdays. Yeah, Wednesday's show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a player, I just think a player who's got a lot of upside in versus. By the way, six foot 217 for a defensive back. That's what he was listed at. That's, that's, that's impressive. That's a big dude. Yeah, he should be. He looks like he should be playing linebacker. I think I said that on Wednesday's pod. And when, and we can say that there are times when they do have the star position, which is the nickel spot he plays, work a little with uh, the outside linebackers. We've seen that a couple times um, during positional drills. Oftentimes, it's kind of a combination thing of you've got your whatever whatever outside linebacker position you want to call it. I know there's a bunch of different terminology. There's jokers and jacks and sams and field and boundaries and the field and boundaries actually encapsulate the Jacks and the Jokers and Sams. But now I'm getting into basically gibberish here. Uh, all I'm trying to say is that typically when they do work, it's not like Jeffrey Bossa is now filling in for Kayvon Thibodeau. It's more like he's playing off next to Kayvon Thibodeau and they're working on some sort of combination of, of rushing the pass or, or stopping a run play. So um, just more clarity on kind of what I was trying to say with that. Um, a couple last thoughts before we uh, wrap this one up. And get everybody just to get everybody prepared for Saturday's scrimmage. Um, I think a couple of special teams things that stood out today from speaking with Mr. Bob Williams. He does. Um, 
Bobby Williams, as he's called on the on the roster. Uh, it's I it really feels like Camden Lewis and Henry Cadman have a real position battle. Really? Yeah, and uh, I don't know if I like it. I mean, from an in-game perspective, I I think the evidence skews pretty one-sided towards Cadman being the better kicker. But again, we're not watching every practice. In fact, like one thing I'll say is like I heard from a couple people behind the scenes that like when Cattleman was promoted over Lewis that they were still in practice, like pretty even in terms of success on kicks. Mm. I think from practice, I think in games, it's pretty clear Cattleman has performed better than Lewis. I think in practice and not like Bobby Williams didn't say this today, um, but I've heard this from a couple other people. I actually think it's like they're probably, they're more comp, they're more comparable in practice than people would expect. I think. But is this like, how Shaquille O'Neal hit 90% of his free throws in practice. And well, Dwight Howard is a great three-point shooter in practice. Well, that's what I'm I've saying. Heard. It's like if, if – like Henry Cattleman has proven in-game and he can hit field goals. It's still a small I sample size, though. It's just free throws. They're basically the same thing. But it is – no, it's still a small sample size, but he's – in that small sample size, he's probably given Oregon fans more confidence to see yeah. Cattleman line up than Camden Lewis has. No, there's – oh, 100%. And, and there would be – there probably is not a position that if it resulted in – like if Lewis ends up being the full-time or he opens the season as the place kicker, I don't know if there's another choice – personnel choice on the roster that would piss off Oregon fans more. Other than other than maybe like Bradley Yaffe starting a quarterback over Anthony Brown, you have to like go. Yeah, you have to go like. Well, that's a deep one. I like that. AJ Abbott, not even full participant yet because he's such a recent addition. Um, good, good. That's a brand new walk on quarterback. Um, <laughs> but like, aside from putting a walk on at quarterback, I mean, and, and and I I actually think Camden Lewis uh, is probably unfair and some of the criticism is slightly unfair in terms of like I do think there's upside here, mm-hmm. but from what he's done in, in games, like Cattleman's just been a lot more impressive. So like, that's where I stand. Um, I certainly don't mind knowing that there's a competition. No, that's fine. I think it's, I think competition is always good. It's just, I'm, a, I'm, I'm surprised. I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm, I guess I'm not that surprised that they say there's a competition. I would be surprised if it felt like the competition was real um, because we've, we've heard now, and I don't want to diminish the quote unquote competition at quarterback, but there's not like a real competition at quarterback. Anthony Brown's a certain yeah. quarterback, and they just haven't said it yet. Um, I felt that was the same thing at a lot of spots on the team, including place kicker, but maybe maybe no dice there. Um, and, again, I don't think this is seven days into fall camp. There's a lot of time for these things to play out, and I wouldn't freak out until we see something in a game that would require us to do so. But I think it's pretty notable, at least, that – I think we'll get There's a, a kicking scrimmage. Too. Yeah, we'll get a, we'll get a sense of the scrimmage. I'm sure they're going to try to kick both those guys equally, along with some of the other players on the team. Um, anything else pre scrimmage you wanted to share from an offensive perspective that you've seen? Uh, the tight end room looks pretty good. Those are uh, some big people. Spencer Webb is. I think he's drastically under. What the heck like, is that? Like he's, okay, okay. So what what does that say? He weighs. 234. It says he's 6'6". So, so I sit next to him today. I'm six foot two, um, And I also sit next to Maliki Matavala, who is also listed at 6'6". And I don't know, maybe Spencer Webb was standing on higher ground, but he, he towered over me. And, like, it was – so maybe there's so something wrong with the rosters there, but the, – the, the, the weight thing, though, I just want to share this. Sorry, I cut you off a little. 
Bobby said that Spencer Webb had gained a lot of weight to improve as an inline blocker, and then the roster suggests he's lost, like, what, 10 10 pounds. So something's not totally adding up there. I found that to be kind of notable. Um, But, like, regardless, the tight end room is really talented. Cam McCormick, I think, has a chance to scrimmage on Saturday. I don't know if he said one way or the other, but – he certainly spoke with media for, what, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be a story to track. It really sounds like he's going to – he has a shot to play this year and, and maybe play a decent amount, and that's just really great to hear. I mean, I'm not going to set any expectations for if he starts or has 500 yards receiving and eight no, touchdowns or anything. Just to see him on the field. Like, this is sort of similar to what happened with Farrell Brown about seven years ago, six years ago, where he – different circumstances where Brown almost had to have his leg amputated, but he missed a lot of time and then came back. And I think just the fact that he was able to play was really exciting. I think for McCormick, it's the same thing. Now, Brown went out and had an all-conference senior season and, and goes on and now is, I think, with the Houston Texans and might, might be one of the top tight ends this year. Um, I don't necessarily foresee the same future for McCormick, but it's just really great to have him around, seeing him there, seeing him smiling and talking about football. You can tell he's been through just so much and, um, kudos for him for not quitting because it would have been easy for a lot of people. I mean, shoot, yeah. if you if you would have given me his circumstances, if you're going to be out three years in a row with injury, it would have been very easy to choose the door where you just stopped doing it. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, no, it's great to see him out there. I think that's the first time the media has really gotten to speak to him in two years or something a while. like that. Several um, years, yeah. He gave a detailed answer of his, of his injury and his history and what happened and yeah, like you said, it would have just been much easier for him to say, okay, this this keeps happening to myself when I play football. I should probably stop playing football. But he yeah. didn't, and he's he's back. He's taken a lot of the second team reps. He's usually the second tight end to come out of any you know route running drill. Webb's the first. Webb is the first, yes. Um, but and he looks good. I, I talked to Spencer Webb about uh, just what it's like to have Cam back in the room and back into playing shape and seeing him out in the field kind of on an everyday basis. And he was, he was emotional about it. He was just so happy to have him back there and just so happy that like this, he said that the second he steps into the field, like he feels like he's going to cry wow. when he sees it happen. So yeah, that's a great thing to have in that, in that, that tight end room, you know, have him and, and Webb as a leader. Um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of talent in there too. A ton of talent. And we had an opportunity to speak with every single one of Oregon's tight ends today besides DJ Johnson. Again, no clarity on what his status is with the team from the last time we asked about it. Um, but regardless, really talented group. I think that's going to do it Yeah. for this episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Thanks for listening. As we said earlier in the show, we're going to have a reaction to Oregon's first fall scrimmage sometime Sunday morning, I think. It's probably too late to try to record one Saturday night. And in fact, like, might not be that useful for a lot of people. They would be too, they would be sleeping when it was posted. So we'll post that Sunday morning. That's the next time you'll hear from us. So for Eric Scopel and Jared Mack, thank you for listening to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Peace.